Good morning. Welcome to, Mer- welcome to Mercy House. My name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor. I want to welcome all of you. I uh, also want to welcome elementary age kids to go down with Miss Joanna for the MH Kids class. You're welcome to head down there. Beautiful new space down there. If you haven't seen it, we had a mission team come in from Texas and uh, built some walls and then some Mercy House volunteers did some work there and it's, it is awesome. Uh, so grateful for it. So this is the big finish. This is the end of Hebrews 13. We've spent the whole summer in Hebrews 13. You want to uh, be opening up the Bible there that's uh, by your chair or on your phone and look for Hebrews chapter 13 there in the New Testament. We've called it Faith in Practice. The uh, reason we did that is because we believe that what the Hebrew, uh, letter to the Hebrews is saying is right belief results in right living. Most of Hebrews is about right belief. It's about the gospel. But it also includes right living, especially Hebrews 13. And so what we've learned about right living uh, in accordance with the gospel in Hebrews 13 are things like those that are Christians care for the vulnerable. Those that are genuine Christians honor God in their marriage. They honor God with their money. Uh, they care deeply about gospel doctrine, and they work to, to guard it and to keep it pure. They joyfully bear the reproach of being a Christian in this world. They offer praise to God with their lips. They do good and share their resources. All, all of these things uh, are things that genuine Christians do. Those that are believing in the gospel uh, are shaped by and empowered through the gospel. Now, the last, last week's sermon, which Timothy uh, Robinson preached to us, he's a church planter in Fitchburg, uh, was this big benediction at the end, kind of the big finish, Hebrews 13, 20, 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. A great finish, right? That's just sort of like the send-off at the end of our service, you know, uh, sending you out. You're equipped. That the, the, the work of the Son on the cross has been uh, superintended by the work of the Father. It's been applied to you by the power of the Spirit, and now go, do it. And you would think that's, that would be a great finish. I mean, there's even an amen at the end of it, but it's not the finish. There's two more verses. And a lot of scholars believe this is a sermon, that Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is a sermon. So in true form, this one who's preaching the book of Hebrews gets to the end and then has to make a few more comments, right? Uh, the, the, the few more comments is what you've just heard, read, and I, I want to read that again so we can hear that and, and kind of marinate in that as, as we're considering what it means. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I s- shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Now, you might think, well, let's just skip that. I mean, it, isn't that kind of like a throwaway couple of verses, maybe 
like the genealogies, you know, there's these things in the Bible, you, you're reading over them, and you just kind of quicken your, your pace, and you move on to the, the next thing. And that's kind of a sub-point of this morning that I want to make by preaching these two verses, is, is how we view the Bible, and kind of the technical phrase for this is our understanding of the inspiration of the Bible is, is, is verbal plenary inspiration. So verbal, the words matter. Actual words matter in the Bible. Not just the ideas, not just the concepts, but the words, right? It's probably why we use the English Standard Version. It, it's a translation, and they work hard to, to translate word for word, not just concept for concept, idea for idea. But not just the words matter, all the words matter. That all the words in the Bible have a purpose, that, that God has preserved those and delivered those to us, and so they all matter. Even those crazy genealogies, they all matter. And they matter because all the words have been inspired by God. And so this is why we look at these two verses on the end of Hebrews chapter 13. I also think that these verses reveal some important truth, and the truths that we're going to look at are truths about a healthy church culture. This book is, is written by not just a, a preacher preaching or a teacher teaching, but a, a pastor shepherding. And you can see in these final two verses, in the comments that are made, that, that they're hoping for there to be a particular kind of culture in the church that's receiving this letter. And so I, I think it's going to speak to us in terms of the kind of culture that we want. So what's culture? So I'm going to use kind of a silly, simple def definition I stole from a pastor in Fort Worth named uh, Harold Bullock. And he says, culture is how things work around here. How things work in a particular group of people often unwritten and unspoken even, but everybody just kind of knows. If they've been a part of that group, that family, that, that government, that institution, that church, this is how things work around here. And so you, you see in these verses how things should work in a healthy, healthy church. And, and what contributes to culture is really complex. There's all kinds of things that uh, flow into that. There's the actual larger context of where a family or a church or an institution or organization has been plopped down in, like our church. We're in an academic kind of a setting. I forget that until I go somewhere else that's not in an academic kind of setting. And, and wow, this is different, the way people talk, the way the, the word is preached. It's the same word, same gospel, but it's, it's different, right? And so we're influenced by the, the larger surrounding culture, but then also just our history, things we've experienced that are good, things we've experienced that are bad, the, the, the leaders that we have, the founding pastor that you have, that you've had the same pastor for 19 years, all, all these things, they influence the culture of a church. And when you want to, as a leader, bring about change, in an organization or a family or a church, you want to change the culture. You want to change the culture. This thing that no one knows even exists, that's often unwritten and unspoken about, 
but it's there, and it's as real as anything. And so changing that culture such that you see a new work of God in that church, that is really what good leaders do. And so I think we can learn from these two verses what a healthy church should look like, or at least four characteristics, four characteristics of a healthy church. So let's take a look at these. The first one is that a healthy church is an encouraging church. It's an encouraging church. Verse 22 starts off with, I appeal to you. What's being translated there is the Greek word parakaleo. And it literally means that you're pleading with someone and you're comforting them at the same time. Right? You're, you're exhorting them, you're calling them to a standard, but you're also coming close to them in relationship and you're bringing comfort and love. It's similar to a word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit, who's also an encourager and an exhorter and getting you off you know, your excuses, but at the same time coming near and loving you and comforting you, right? Like a good parent, right? Exhorting, moving you forward, but at the same time coming close, loving you. So this is, this is the kind of environment that you want to have in a healthy church. You, you want there to be a lot of parakaleo a lot of encouragement. And this is throughout the book of Hebrews. Uh, he's exhorting them, encouraging them to encourage one another. Here's a couple of examples. Hebrews uh, 3.13, but exhort one another. That's that same Greek word. Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And then another example, Hebrews 10.24, let us Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. That's the same Greek word, parakaleo, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so in, encouraging one another in what? Belief and practice, right? Encouraging one another in a continual belief in the gospel, but also the practice. All those things we just mentioned that are throughout Hebrews 13. Because these things are hard. <laughs> these things are hard to do. It's, it's hard to continue to, to care for the vulnerable. It's hard to share your resources. It, it's hard to obey your leaders. It's hard. Why? Because we're, we're sinners. Now we're saved by grace. We're indwelt with the Spirit. We have the resources we need to overcome these barriers so that we can live out this gospel that we believe, but it's not easy. And so we need encouragement. We need to encourage one another. We received some encouragement this week. We, we've come off some incredible experiences as a family. We were in Texas for two weeks, and our oldest son, Corey, got married. It was amazing. We just got the pictures. We were posting them yesterday, just, again, just celebrating this amazing event in our family's life. And then we came back off of that, and we entered into a teen summer camp uh, where I was a camp pastor, and Melanie did some teaching to some of the chaperones. And uh, it was awesome and exhausting, right? And then we come back, and we take uh, Cooper and Kayla to the beach because we're going to send off Kayla in a, f a few days. And so it was awesome. But we come off of all those things, and we're just like, wow, we're, we're tired, but September's around the corner, you know, so let's go, and, and just needing encouragement 
and uh, we, we were having breakfast together and just kind of like, whoa, it's, we're tired, it's hard. And we get home, and there's two letters in the mail from people just encouraging us. Just encourage. It wasn't like a thank you note for you did this thing. It was they wanted to encourage us. So, so we, we all need that. Everybody needs it. Everybody needs encouragement. So here's some diagnostic questions for, for that, this particular attribute. So have you encouraged a fellow brother or sister in Christ over the last two weeks? Have you done, done something intentional? You texted someone, wrote someone a note, gave someone a call, did something to encourage another brother or sister in Christ? Or have you been encouraged by another brother or sister in Christ? Has that happened over the last, let's say, two weeks? Give you some sense of whether or not this is in the water uh, at Mercy House in, in your life. So this leads us to the second point, right? Healthy church functions as a family. It says, I appeal to you brothers, right? Brothers. Why does it say brothers? Because that's what it says in the Greek text, right? It doesn't just apply to men. It's brothers and sisters, but the Greek text actually says brothers. So again, word for word. So it's trying to give you the, the actual translation of what the actual word says. But it's, it's speaking to the church as family, as family. He does this many times, and he does it in, in Hebrews 13 three times, right? Let, let brotherly love continue. That's verse 1 of chapter 13. I appeal to you, brothers, like we just read in verse 22. The very next verse, he's going to say, you should know that our brother, Timothy, has been released. If you're not careful, you miss it. Because you think, oh, that's just religious language. That's Bible language. That's what Bible writers say to people. They call them brothers and saints, and that stuff doesn't mean... No, it means something. It's communicating the culture of the church, and that the church is to be family. This is why we're called Mercy House. Right? House. We're household. We're, we're, we're a family, or we desire to be. It, it speaks to our identity. It's letting us know that through our faith in God the Son, we've become children of God the Father. And as children of God the Father, we now have a lot of siblings who are also children of God the Father. So we've not just been adopted by a parent, but we've been ad adopted into a family of other adopted kids. And so because of that, we, we're family. We are family with one another whether we like it or not. I always say this when we're doing a baptism. I, I, I'll say, this baptism is showing that you're joining Jesus and you're joining his family. They're not the same thing, but they are inseparable. They are inseparable. If you are a child of God, you are a sibling of other adopted children of God. And so there's, it's, it's not, God does not want us to to be joined with him and then say, well, I'm, I'm okay with you being my father, but I'm not okay being siblings with these people. That's not okay. You may feel that. You may feel that some days, some days not. But what's real is that if you've joined the family, you are a child of God through what, what Christ has done on the cross, you are siblings with other children of God. Now, how can non-blood relatives become family with each other? 
and they can become family with each other through what was said last week in Hebrews 13, 20. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. That Jesus' very blood that he poured out on, on his, with his, in his death on the cross, it doesn't just reconcile individuals to God, it creates a covenant community. And it's an eternal covenant. Eternal! So these adopted siblings of yours, you're going to be looking at them for eternity. That, that, that's how long-term this reality is. As, as we see people go through the, the water of baptism, that's a physical sign of this reality. That, wow, this person has, has joined Jesus and has joined our local expression, but this is an eternal reality. Right? And then weekly we're taking communion. It's, it's another sign to say that these, this is taken by those that are part of this covenant community. And, it, and it's now, but it's, it's forevermore. It's also why we have membership. Right? It's a way for people to, to signify, I'm part of this local fellowship. And it's, a part, it's, it's for us as leaders to know, okay, these are our flock, and these are the ones that we care for. But understanding we're part of capital C Church and that this is an eternal reality. This is the nature of the family that we're a part of. So how do, how do we practice this? Uh, one I just mentioned is, is to identify with a local church and say, this is my family, right? This is my family. And as long as you're in a particular uh, area, th this is your local, local family, local expression and committing to that local church. And then once committed to that church, you're then living among that church, those members, in a sacrificial, committed way. That's what you do with family, is it not? You don't just interact with family when it's convenient, when you feel up to it. They're in your face. You wake up in the morning, there they are, right? And so you, you sacrifice for them, and you do so in a committed, you're in a persevering way. Hebrews 6, 10, and 11, uh, the writer says it this way, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. You can get the sense of the expectations in that church already being lived out, but something he's trying to fan into flame, right? You're serving the saints. You're serving the fellow Christians in your church. And so it, it, is, it takes a sacrifice, right? It's sacrifice to gather weekly in worship on Sunday and to gather weekly in a smaller group during the week. It's, it's sacrificial. I was, I was talking to uh, Tommy Moore, who just joined our staff, and uh, he's working on small groups uh, ministry, and we're talking about how many of our young families are, are willing to pay the price for child care so they can go and be a part of a small group. And it is a sacrifice financially, energy spent, time spent, and it's harder than when they were single or married without children, right? But they're willing to pay that so that they can be a part of the family every week. It's sacrificial uh, to pray for your church family. 
right? We, we have this great, I think, great system set up where folks put prayer requests down on cards. Uh, v takes those, puts those in an email, shoots those out to folks that have committed to pray weekly. That takes time. It takes time. Not just to open the email, but, but to go through it and prayerfully uh, work through each of the requests, follow up when you feel uh, compelled to. But such an important ministry in our church that folks are sacrificially praying for one another. It's sacrificial to give generously. I don't think most in the room are feeling like, you know, I've got these extra savings accounts. They're just busting with resources. I think I'll just give a bunch of money to the church. No, every, every time... That, that you're giving generously to the church. It, it, it takes sacrifice. It's part of being a part uh, of the family. You, it, it's sacrificial to bring a meal to someone who needs it. It's never convenient. It's not convenient to plan that meal, shop for that meal, cook that meal, or at least pick it up somewhere, take it. And then, oh yeah, you have to eat too. That, right? It's, it's not easy. It takes sacrifice. It's sacrificial to open up your home for your church family. It's sacrificial to show up to, to help in the midst of a crisis. Have you ever noticed crises don't seem to ever be convenient? I think in theory we think, if there's a crisis, I'm there. I'm your friend. Church is family. But then it happens. And you're like, whoa, I mean, I'm busy. I've got stuff going on. I can't drop every, but you would for your family. You would, right? And so it's sacrificial to, to show up and help in the midst of family. And, and all this stuff I mentioned doesn't even include serving in a more formal way in the church. This is all just organic stuff, day to day. And so on, on top of life and organic relationships in the church, serving in some kind of official capacity in the church, it takes sacrifice. But not just sacrifice, it takes sacrifice over the long haul. It's one thing to have a good week of sacrifice, you know. It's a whole other thing for another week and a month and year after year after year. But you hear that kind of commitment to the church family in even this Hebrews 6, 10 and 11 I just read. He says uh, that it's until the end, you know. And at the beginning of chapter 13, he says, let brotherly love continue. He, he, the, the writer sees that there is brotherly love, and they are sacrificing. And he's like, don't stop that. Keep that going. Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but keep encouraging each other. Keep loving each other. And so it's not just sacrifice, but sacrifice over the long haul. This next picture here is uh, some of my heroes, Jimmy and Joyce Phelps. They live in Texas. Uh, they are part of Manchek Baptist Church. Manchek Baptist Church has supported our church in this financially in a pretty significant way over the last 19 years. It was a church where I was a youth pastor for four years, and so that's how I, we got to know them. And uh, so we've had this incredible uh, relationship with them. And Jimmy and Joyce Phelps have been there uh, a long time. All right. So their families back in 19, nine, 1918 uh, were at a tent revival where they heard the gospel, responded in faith, and then... The pastor that was part of that said, well, let's just start a church here. And so they started a, a church out of a tent revival 100 years ago. And, and Jimmy and Joyce's families were there, and they helped start that church. And then they were born into that church, and they grew up in that church. They married in that church, and they have been in that church 
ever since. And they have sacrificed. They have served. They have poured out. And as adults have been there, you know, serving and pouring out for 70 plus years. Most of us won't be in the same place for 70 plus years, but wherever we do find ourselves, whether we're there for six months or 70 years, we can pour out in a local congregation. Right? We can sacrifice and we can do that perseveringly. And when we go to the next place, we can do the same thing. I had a uh, kind of a goodbye coffee with Addison this week, and uh, one of the things he was excited about, and I was excited that he was excited about, was he couldn't wait to see what God would do through him and in him in the next church where he goes when he moves to Seattle for his job. And, and so that, that's the kind of mentality we, we want to see, because we, we do see a lot of people sent out from this place, but our hope is that they learn how to do church as family in this place, and if they go, that they continue to do that in other places while the rest of us that do stay, this is, we, we, celebrate, uh, we celebrate 19 years here uh, this, this summer that uh, we do family. And this church has been our family. We're 2,000 miles away from family. And we've raised our kids 2,000 miles away from family. And uh, this church has been our family. So this is part, part of the culture. Partly why we call ourselves Mercy House is that we would be family from one another. So my question is for you in this regard are, have you committed to people in this church like family? Or is it, well, if I have time, if it's convenient, when things slow down, or is it, no, this is my family, and, and I will sacrifice for this family? If no, why not? There, there may be some significant reasons down in there, maybe some past history stuff, some life management stuff, who knows? But to begin a conversation with God, okay, why, why haven't I committed myself to this congregation or perhaps another congregation? Why haven't I done that? Why am I not sacrificing, committed myself to a church like family? And then if, if yes, if the answer is yes, I have committed to this place like family, then what does this week look like? You know, Let brotherly love continue. Like, how does it continue this week? How do, and it may be encouraging someone, right? But how, how do I take the next step in sacrificing for the family? Now, if, if a church doesn't have encouragement, doesn't have a family culture, there is still hope that it can change because of this next attribute. Healthy church grows under the Word. It grows under the Word. You hear this in this phrase, Bear with my word of exhortation, for I've written to you briefly. His word of exhortation. What, what's, he, what's he speaking of? He, he's speaking of this, this preaching that he's doing in this letter. He's, he's quoting Old Testament scripture and he's preaching Old Testament scripture. That, that's why we think it's a sermon. And so he is saying this, this exhortation that he's doing in light of the word of God, this preaching, he's like, bear with that word of exhortation. Right? And so what, what he wants them to do is not merely hear the, the word that he's speaking, but to heed it. Not just hear it, but heed it. Right? Bear with my exhortation. Don't just listen to it and think, that was interesting. That was helpful. Or that wasn't that good. I've heard better sermons. But instead, God, what are you saying to me? 
whether it be knock it out of the park sermon or a mediocre sermon. God, what, what are you speaking to me through the word that's being preached? Because that's what God does in this moment. He speaks through his word that's being preached through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have the opportunity not just to hear it, but then to heed it, to apply it to our lives. And there's warnings in Hebrews for those that hear it, but don't heed it. He uses the, the people that were uh, rescued from Egypt and were wandering around out in the desert. And he says this, using them as an example. He says in Hebrews 3, 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. These folks that came out of Egypt and then wandered in the desert for 40 years are like the poster children for those who hear but don't heed. And so the, the writer of Hebrews says, let this be a cautionary tale. Because these people saw the ten plagues that, that, that God brought about in Egypt to, to rescue them. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the manna and the quail. They, they, they saw the, the pillar of, of fire at night and the cloud by day and all, all of these incredible revelations of the reality of God. But they didn't heed them. They just saw them. They just heard them. And so what happens is as, as you ha have the, uh, the reality of God revealed to you and you refuse it, you become calloused. You become hardened to it. And I think some of us think, okay, well, I just don't have enough room in my brain and my heart today to really heed this sermon, and I'm just going to move on to the next one, right? And the danger in that, again, is that you become hardened to it. You become hardened to it. This is why this writer of Hebrews is saying, bear with my exhortation. Don't, don't just hear it and then let it go, but actually heed it. He, he says in that Hebrews 3 then, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's, he's exhorting them. He's appealing to them. Don't just hear this. Heed it. Now, how do you, how do, you do that? What, what would be some practical ways to, to guard against that? Here's, here's a few things that you can do. Okay, so one is take some notes. Take some notes. When there's preaching going on, if I'm not preaching, I'm taking notes. I don't care if, it, if, if it's the first sermon that the person has ever preached in their whole lives and I've worked with them for six weeks to get them ready for that sermon, I'm taking notes because I believe God is speaking through that person as he preaches the word of God. So, so if God's speaking in this moment, wouldn't you want to capture that? And it's just a discipline that helps me just remember stuff, you know? Just, if, I, if, I, if I'm not writing it down, I just, I'm not capturing it. So I don't want to just hear it. I want to hear it. I want to heed it. So that means i got to remember it. Take some notes. Then reflect on what you've heard. Reflect on what you heard. Maybe Sunday afternoon, maybe Monday morning. And I need, I need to hear this, too, because oftentimes Monday morning, I'm just thinking about the next sermon, Right? I got I to gotta get the next sermon ready. When I haven't yet allowed the word to fully speak to me, 
so that I can heed what, because when I'm, you know, working on it, preparing it, God's speaking to me, but he even speaks to me as I'm preaching the, the scripture. And if I'm not careful and I don't reflect on it, then I miss it and I don't heed it, then I become hard to it. So reflecting on it. And again, the danger of hearing and not heeding is that you become hard. You become hard. So in, in a healthy church, you, you want to grow under the Word, by heeding the Word of God. You want it to work in you like Hebrews 4.12 says. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what we want. We don't just want to hear an entertaining sermon. We want the Word of God to go out, not just in the preaching moment, but in small group discussion, in our own devotional life, and to do surgery on the heart. That's what we need it to do. I've got an old knee injury that has come back, and so in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have an arthroscopic knee surgery. And the way that I found out I needed that, one is I was hurting and limping, and I went to the doctor, they did an x-ray, they did an MRI, and they went down into the joints and marrow, and they looked down deep in there, and they said, there's a piece of meniscus that's floating around in your knee, plus a bone spur, plus this, plus that, right? And so they diagnosed it. Okay, okay, now what? So, well, we need to go in there and we need to do surgery. And so I had the option to hear and not heed, and I was tempted because I don't want to have surgery, right? I don't want to be on crutches. But if I don't heed, I'm going to keep limping, and things are going to not just stay the same, they're going to get worse, Again, it's the same thing with the Word of God. As, as you hear it, both in preaching, in small group discussion, in your own devotional time, if you don't heed it, you become hard to it, and things get worse. So, some diagnostic questions. Am I seeking to heed the Word that I'm hearing right now in this sermon, right in this moment? Here's some application. Right now. Were you kind of just in the hearing mode? Like, oh, there's Robert. He's preaching again. Another sermon. I've heard that story before. Yeah, he said that before. Or is it hear and heed? Okay, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you have for me? I want to hear from you. What's happening in this moment? And then what are some of the regular disciplines that you have put in place so that you're not just a hearer, but you're also heeding? What kind of taking notes, capturing what you're hearing, reflecting on those things, journaling. I don't, you know, there's a, all kinds of ways to do this. But what are you doing? Or is it pretty laid back, passive? That's eh, a B plus. Hopefully it's better next week, right? We don't want to do that. So we're encouraging family. We're growing under the word. And a healthy church has leadership. That's leadership. Verse 23 of Hebrews 13. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. So Hebrews 13 mentions leaders a lot. The writer seems to, to believe that leadership in the church is, is pretty essential in terms of the culture of the church. Back in verse 7, remember your leaders. 
Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember that? Chris Gow preached on that. Then I preached on uh, verse 17. Obey your leaders. Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who have to give an account, let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Both those sermons are online. You want to check those out? But these are, these are about leader. And then here, the, the author is a leader. He mentions Timothy, who's a leader. And then he says, greet your leaders and all the saints. Now, what's this leaders and saints kind of thing? Is it like this two-tier thing? It's like the regular people, then there's the leaders, and then there's the saints, right? No, that is not at all what it is. Every believer in Jesus is a saint. And you say, well, you, you haven't seen the way I lived last week. You wouldn't say I was a saint. You're a saint by grace. The word being translated there is a hagios. It means a holy one. You've been made holy as a free gift of grace through Christ's death on the cross. If you've received that by faith, you've been made a holy one, a hagios. You are a saint. And so he's saying, greet the leaders and the congregation. That's basically what he's saying. But he's calling them holy ones, a hagios. But each hagios does have a set of gifts and a corresponding calling. When you're part of this family, you, you have a set of gifts given to you by God, spiritual gifts, and those spiritual gifts have a corresponding calling to sacrifice and to serve in the mission of, of the church. And some of those gifts and calling are to be leaders in the church. Obviously, not everyone's a, a leader in the church. The, the, you know, he says leaders and saints. But I do think there should be a longing to be an influencer for Christ in every Christian's heart. Because that is indeed what you have the opportunity to do. Everyone has an opportunity to influence someone else in the name of Jesus. And that's, that's leadership at some level. And yes, there's, there's going to be some that have more official leadership kind of capacity in the church, but everyone should long for greater influence and feel a responsibility for that influence. I think that's part of what makes a leader a leader. They feel responsible to influence others to go a particular direction. The influence isn't just happenstance. It's not just uh, sort of secondhand. They're thinking, how can I influence the particular group that I'm working with to go a direction? We want everyone to sense that, to feel, I, I want to influence people and point them to Christ. We've been talking about this kind of uh, journey that we hope we see people on in our church, that folks who are not Christians become Christians, and they enter into un coming to a greater understanding of what it means to be a disciple. They start learning the basics of, of praying and learning scripture and being in fellowship with their family at, at church and being on mission to make more and more disciples. So it then kind of flows into the next piece, where you continue to grow as a bee, but then you start to learn more what it means to make disciples of others. And then after you've made a disciple of someone else, maybe you've introduced Jesus to, to, to someone, or, or you have uh, helped a new believer learn some of those basics that you learned when you first became a believer, then you're ready to move to a, a, a multiply. We're, you're willing to come alongside other people who are disciple makers. And, and so this, this is the kind of leadership ethos we want to have in our church and do to some degree, but are praying and working toward having an even greater culture of leadership. So 
diagnostic questions for this, right? Who am I influencing for Christ? Who, who do I feel responsible to influence? For parents, it's going to start in your home. If you've got you know, your, your kids, then you start thinking about friends you have and people in your neighborhood, people, co-workers. Then you start thinking about your, maybe your fellow small group members that are alongside you. All these are opportunities to, to influence people and to be a leader in their lives. Uh, the other is to think about how can I be supporting the leaders that are in the church? I think this is a, par- a big part of Hebrews 13. He's like, follow your leaders, obey your leaders, all, all these. How can I support them? How do I follow their lead? How do I make their job easy? And that's partly what he says. And then number three, how's God calling me to step into a greater role of influence and leadership in the church? And so there's some ways that, that you can, can do that. Here's three suggestions. So Tommy Moore's taking on small groups. Like, would love to help a small group leader with their small group. Come alongside them. Be a support. Learn how to do it. And contact Tommy. You can do that through our church office at contact at nomercy.org. Or perhaps a servant team. We've got several teams that make a lot of stuff happen around here. Opportunity to, to step into one of those settings and begin to learn what it means to serve. Or a care team. That's something that's new in the last few months. There's a team of people that are meeting practical needs in the congregation, but also out in the community as they present themselves. And so if that seems more like you're bent, then reach out. Reach out to the office, and uh, we'll be happy to direct you to the next step. We also, on September 8th, uh, we're going to do something we're calling Equip. And we, we always do some kind of a, a launch day with our leaders, small group leaders, servant team leaders, um, and, and elders and staff. And we thought, this year, let's open it up to the whole membership. So if you're a member of the church or you're like, I love this church, I'm joining as soon as I can have, you know, get to the class, we, we want you to come and be a part of this equip uh, experience on September 8th. And you've got a little card. You've got a little card on your... Uh, on it's your birthday. It's Alex's birthday. So we're going to celebrate Alex's birthday, and we're, we're going to do some uh, just vision casting for the mission of our church, and then we're going to equip you uh, to be a part of that, that mission. So if you're a member, hear this. We want you to come. We want you to sacrifice to come, and we're willing to try to come up with uh, child care and, and the support needed for you to do that. But uh, we, we definitely want you to come and be a part of that. So the fifth thing, if you're feeling overwhelmed, thinking, oh my gosh, I got so many things I got to work on, encouragement and family, and uh, I've got to be, I got to be a leader, and I've got to start taking notes during sermons and uh, reflecting on them on Monday, and uh, if you're feeling that just overwhelmed, good, because this next point is going to help you. The healthy church is sustained by grace. Sustained by grace. This is the last phrase, last verse of the entire book of Hebrews, which is such an incredibly beautiful theological and a little bit practical uh, book. And then he ends with this, grace be with all of you. And again, we might be tempted to just throw that verse out. You know, oh, that's just like a nice goodbye. That's just the way they say goodbye in the Bible. Grace be to all of you. 
But think about what, what he's saying there. He, that, Hebrews 18, uh, 13 has been incredibly challenging. There's a lot of things in there that have, have been an exhortation to us that in our own power and strength we're never going to do. And so when he says, grace be with all of you, he's talking to Christians, right? He's not talking to, to non-Christians who, who need to become Christians. He, he's talking to Christians. So what he's saying is not only have they received forgiving grace that ushered them into a relationship with Jesus and the church, but they're being given transforming grace as they live that Christian life out. And, th- and that we need that. We need that. I think some of us, we believe we're saved by grace, but then we, we live the Christian life in our own strength. We just try hard. And that's... That's not a Christian way of thinking. We are, are saved by grace through faith. We continue to grow by grace through faith. And so he ends with, with this, this beautiful goodbye of grace be with all of you. And, and the writer has been uh, alluding to this throughout the book. Here's a couple of places. Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He's talking to Christians. He's saying you can go into the the throne room. You can ask for grace when you need grace, which is always. We heard this in Hebrews 19. Uh, Austin Kopak, he preached on this. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Same kind of thing, right? It's like your heart is weary, your heart is suffering from unbelief, your, your heart is, is, is confused, and you can be strengthened by grace. And so Christian maturity is very counterintuitive. You start off, and, and, and when you become a Christian, you do have a sense of your need and a sense of, of the grace that's, that's given to you at the cross. But you've just started, and as you grow, if, if you're experiencing true Christian maturity, you become more aware of your need. That's why sometimes you feel like, am I really growing? I just feel weak. I just feel like I'm a mess. I'm a wreck. But oftentimes, that's because you're becoming more aware of your need. And as you're feeling needy, if, if you're mature in Christ, you're then asking for grace. You're asking for more grace. You're asking to be strengthened by grace. So, maturity... Like when you're, you know, in a family is greater independence. But in Christian maturity, it's really greater dependence on the good grace of God. So, you've heard some things through this word, through this sermon. What are you hearing? And what is God asking you to do in order to heed what you're hearing. Is it something in the area of encouragement? Is it it something in the area of committing to the church like family? Is is it something in the area of of growing under the word? Is it something in the area of of taking responsibility to influence and lead others? I'd encourage you to to ask the Lord to to zero in on one of those. What is it? What's the thing that he's speaking to you And as you get a sense of that, to then go to him for grace to heed that word. Go to him for grace to heed that word, because that's the only way you're going to heed that word. It's the only way. If somehow you do heed that word and you don't do it by grace, you're going to become prideful about it. You're going to look down on others. Or you're going to fail, and then you're going to be discouraged. 
But if you do it by grace, through faith, just like you came to faith in Christ, if, you, if, you, if you've done that, there's, there's going to be a gospel humility, there's going to be a transformation, and you need to take one more step in the maturity that God has for you. If you've not even begun that journey, I want to encourage you to put your faith in Christ this morning for the first time. If this life that I'm describing, this kind of community that I'm describing, you're like, I want to be a part of that. You really can't be a part of that, truly. I mean, you're welcome to be here and be a part of all the activities and, and such, but to really be a part of that in terms of a spiritual reality, you've got to come through faith in Jesus Christ as your one and only Savior and your King. And so if you're here this morning and you're ready to receive that by faith, I want to encourage you to do that, to, to, to move toward Him in prayer in your heart, and then I would encourage you to tell somebody that you've done that. You can indicate it on the card that you've been given on, the, on your chair. You can indicate it to me. You can come back in the back and let me know, and I'll pray for you, or maybe a friend here that uh, knows you and that you can talk to them about next steps. The rest of us, it's an opportunity for us to hear and to heed, knowing that that grace that we'll require in order to heed that word, it comes from the cross. We're reminded of that every time we come to this table. Where Jesus, on the night on which he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He gave it to them, saying to them, this is my body given for you. You all. Right? He, he wasn't just sitting in a room with Peter, saying, Peter, I died for you, and I'm your personal Lord and Savior. That's not what he says. Because I'm letting my body be broken for you all. And yes, there's an individual aspect to it, but Jesus, his intention was to create an eternal covenant community by his blood. He says that in the very next phrase when he takes the cup and he blesses it. He gives it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. This is the family dinner table. This is what we're saying when we come up. We're professing that we are part of this eternal family and that that is by the grace that comes through the cross of Christ. So if you've made that commitment to follow Christ and uh, to, to receive what he's done for you by faith, then we encourage you to come to the family dinner table and to, to take part in that. And the way we do that here is that those on this side of the room make a line on this side of the row, take a piece of bread, take one of the cups here on the table, slip around on the side aisle, back into your seat, and then you take it whenever you're ready. You don't have to wait for any kind of an indication. Those on this side of the room make a line on this side of the row, same thing. Bread, cup, slip around on the side, back into your seat, take it when you're ready. If you would, when you leave after the service is dismissed, Take your cup with you, put that in the wastebasket, and that's helpful to us as we do cleanup after the service. Also, those of you that are parents, as, uh, as you go down, if you're getting kids, if you know those kids are kind of going to go nuts up here, uh, maybe just go nuts downstairs, and then when it's dismissed, bring them up, and we can all go nuts after that, okay? <laughs> so let's hear, let's heed, let's come to the table. God, thank you for grace. Thank you for grace, and thank you for th that grace that brings forgiveness to us, but Lord, also that brings transformation, that we're, we're, we're freed from the penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin, 
and that we can grow. And, and God, we, we don't just want to grow as an individual. Lord, would you grow us as a congregation? Thank you for what you've already done. There, there's some really sweet things about this congregation that, that do exemplify everything that I've just said. But uh, we long for growth in those areas, Lord. So, so teach us, what does it look like in this next stage of our church's life, in this next season, as we welcome many, many, many other folks into our congregation uh, to exemplify these things that we've read in your word this morning. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.